Hey, it's Eric G. Around the House is sponsored by Baldwin Hardware. For 75 years, Baldwin Hardware has been known for its first-class quality and craftsmanship in door and cabinetry hardware. As an alumnus of the Baldwin Hardware Design Council, I can say I have seen the details and quality from design to the finished product. If you're looking for a new style and old-world craftsmanship, I can tell you there is only one Baldwin Hardware. Check out what would look great in your home at baldwinhardware.com. It's around the house. So we're only, what, maybe 10 minutes into this conversation. We've already talked about tapes that need to go around windows, tapes that need to go behind deck boards and on walls, and now tapes that go on uh, deck framing. I mean, there's a tape for just about everything out there. Um, the big concern is, do people really know how to use them, and where do they belong? That's what I was going to say, is that so many of my homeowners, I, when I go into a house, and obviously I, I look for mold and things like that. I'm an environmental consultant, so I see mold, and I explain to them, like, your flashing was done wrong or you don't have any and they're like well how do we know, how do i know the difference like how does someone ascertain whether a person is doing their window right when they're you know they don't have the background that we have to even ask the question i mean is there certain questions that you would recommend the homeowner say ask an installer when it comes to remodeling and renovating your home there is a lot to know but we've got you covered this is around the house Welcome to Around the House with Eric G and Caroline B, your source for home improvement, healthy homes, interior design and construction every single week. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Caroline, how you doing over there? Doing great. How about you? Excellent. We are even better now that we got my good friend in the house, Walt Tamala, my building science guy that I always lean on for, hey, am I doing this right? Welcome to Around the House. Eric, Caroline, thanks so much for having me. Greatly appreciate it. Looking forward to this. So fun. Thanks, man. Thanks. Well, I met you years ago with Cheryl, and you were up back then, I think, on the DuPont stage doing seminars, teaching builders how to actually properly weatherproof everything from doors to windows to everything else that, of course, DuPont was doing at the time. Yeah, we were teaching 17 sessions uh, per per show uh, wherever we were going um, as far as integrating a, a weather-resistant barrier, uh, otherwise known as a WRB, into your house, um, the different types of uh, uh, WRBs there are out there, and how important it was to, to use one full system. You know, a lot of folks out there think, oh, you know, I can use this wrap and this tape and this product here and oh I, I ran out so let me just run and go grab something at the depot or, or Lowe's or wherever and I'll just infill with it without realizing is is one a butyl base is one a bitumen base is one acrylic base you know what does this look like and do they actually bond to each other and do they actually work um, but uh, it's pretty exciting so if I'm teaching that to builders we can only imagine what we could be teaching homeowners right yeah and I can tell you guys are seriously you guys are two of the science guys I'm gonna have to back you down for our audience and the people who know nothing <laughs> and they're like what did he just say that was like science <laughs> like coming at me whoa <laughs> Oof. well so let's back up for a second I notice and it's one of my pet peeves on social media right now because there's all these influencers creating their own videos out there and it could be somebody that's creating something funny or whatever. It could be on Facebook. It could be on YouTube. But I tell you what, there are so many horrible basic mistakes that are being made by people showing people how to do it out there to homeowners that are just, I'm going to put a new window in. So I'm going to take the old window out, put a bead of caulking around it, shove the new one in, and I've got my window replaced. I want to make sure now that we're coming into springtime that we're starting to do some of these projects correctly because that flashing is almost more important than the window itself. Yeah, I, I tell you, just like Eric, you know, we, we tell every builder, every remodeler, uh, everybody that we know out there is there's two types of windows, right? There's windows that leak and windows that will leak, you know, over the, their lifespan, it's going to happen. So if mm-hmm. you're a homeowner out there looking to replace your own windows, you know, you're going to follow the same processes, the basic building practice um and you know you want to hang it plumb you want to hang it level you want to be true um first thing that i always check for eric is do i have a pitch sill because when the water does get in uh is it just going to land on a level board that sometimes the window is sitting all the way down on even though it should be hung 
Um, so there should be a space all the way around your window, top sides and bottom. Uh, those nails and, and, and screws that you may be using in the nailing fin to hold that window in place is what shores that to the wall. Um, and then insulation fills around the inside. But that sill uh, underneath the window should be pitched towards the outside so that any water, bulk water that does get into that wall cavity has a place to release and go back out into the world in the real direction it's supposed to be instead of up against your drywall and inside your house. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many times I've seen, and it's a lot of times I'm in a home and I saw this more when I was designing kitchens, but they'd be like, oh, we just did windows seven or eight years ago and somebody came and knocked on our door and we hired them and they did the windows. And all of a sudden you start looking around and you're like, wow, you got all this mold and drywall mess underneath, underneath your windows. windows. Yeah, you you pull the drapes back in the dining room and go, wow, that's a mess. And they're like, oh, I never saw that. Well, yeah, because you haven't pulled your drapes down in there to see what's hiding behind it. But can't tell you how many exterior walls I've had contractors have to reframe just because they didn't spend the half hour to do it right on that window. Oh, absolutely. We see it all the time. And, and it'll be hidden behind like your baseboard heat up here. Uh, New England's notorious for oil-fired baseboard heat. So, you know, Mm -hmm. it looks like it's dirty and dusty until you go to pull that baseboard off and your screwdriver, your hammer goes right through the wall and you're like, oh, no, that was mold. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, the window above the baseboard is actually leaking and it has been leaking for who knows how many years. Yeah. So That and the other one I see, too, are people not flashing DACs. And I want to talk about all these different things, but that's another one of those now that we're starting to get into people going, okay, I'm going to rebuild that deck because the old one's falling apart or they want to put one on back out there. I see so many house structural issues by incorrect deck installations where they install the deck, but they've just basically pitched water to go right back into the sill plate of the house and cause all sorts of different damage from just water, not going the right way. And yeah, I mean, I've seen a ton of uh, decks that I've gone and inspected uh, where, you know, I throw a level on it and you notice that it is back pitch right away. Um, and you know as well as I do, if if people aren't putting the right sonotubes and everything else in, you would expect the front of the deck to to settle and sink, not where mm-hmm. the point of contact is on the house, uh, but it's just the opposite, um, which just means that, you know, again, people are just trying to get something level instead of pitched properly so you have some kind of runoff with the water. Um, and then we never, ever think, you know, we don't want to move the siding. We don't want to change this or whatever was behind it already is probably going to be sufficient. And all I got to do is put new decking on or or change my boards out. And no, I mean, you really you kind of have to open a can of worms and make it a bigger project to make sure that um, all is well and, and you don't create a bigger issue. I just went through that. No kidding. I had an, uh, the deck was yep. 19, maybe 86. And I pulled redwood deck. I had to pull it off my house. Cause I knew it was going to be all rotted behind it. No flashing. And so we had to go all the way down all the siding. Everything had to be taken off everybody. And you have to fix the problem before you put a new deck on. And then we flashed in our case where we did aluminum flashing. But you can talk about the options, Walt, too. Like, so people, sometimes you have sure. to use copper when you can't use aluminum, depending on the products you're using, um, what people have for options and, and how flashing lays behind things. So I try to explain it's something that goes over your house and it's sort of this, you know, a, a Another layer, if you will, usually of metal. I'm a, I'm a proponent of metal flashing. You don't have to use that, but um, just give them their options so they understand. Yeah, I think in today's day and age, especially with, you know, the World Wide Web, the, you know, the, the era of technology, you know, you can look up a ton of different YouTubes, but um, there's so many different products that it can get pretty confusing out there. Like you walk into one store and, and you don't see the same products because they don't purchase the same uh, distribution center, you know, products or whatever. Um, I think I like to keep it simple and I, I want to find some kind of self-adhered product that I put on my house sheathing before I put my ledger board up, before I do any kind of decking. That way, I just know I have that first layer of defense that seals itself directly to my wall sheathing. So if you have a home wrapper, if you have anything else up on the house, cut that back, get down to bare wood so you can see that wood and then apply a self-adhered product, whether it's an ice and water barrier uh, or um, some of these uh, sealant tapes that are 9, 12 inches tall uh, that are just a little bit easier to work with. Uh, They all work really well. They are all pressure tapes, which means you have to apply 30 pounds of pressure in order for them to actually adhere. Otherwise, you could get a cold night. You could have 
the sun hit it the, the right way and overheat it and it'll peel right back off the building. Um, and I've seen so many failures because someone just didn't take the time uh, to roll or push and apply the right pressure on on those products. So that's that's my first layer. And I'm correct, right? You can use a a metal, right? Like, so like behind ours, they use the aluminum flashing behind it where they actually use the thin metal, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you most certainly can. The only reason that I stay away from the metal is because depending on the type of pressure treated lumbers or the lumber that you're Mm -hmm. using, um, you could grab um, some ACQ um, pressure treated that still has uh, the chemicals in it that will eat away at aluminum. Ah, that's interesting. Um, You know, only because, mm-hmm. you know what, not everybody's buying brand new stuff. They might be, hey, my buddy is getting rid of his deck or tearing it down, so I'm going to take that product because then I don't have to buy it. But now all of a sudden it interacts, um, you know, um, Chemically. erosion happens, and the next thing you know, that aluminum yeah. is, is cheese it's whiz or, you know, or cheese <laughs> yeah. cloth, I mean, mm-hmm. and it's gone. Exactly. So That's yeah, done. And I, I also like to have that layer behind it. Of like with my deck, when I did it, I put in, I used the nine inch um, DuPont because I had it and I, you know, did that behind that. And then I used the metal flashing later on to make sure that I was kicking water out on that. But I liked it because it seals around all your fasteners as well. So when you nail through to do that, now you've got something that's sealing around that, that nail or screw that you've got there that's holding that in together. So now anytime you penetrate that, there's some kind of seal around it. Exactly. And Caroline, I combine the two because our next step is after we put like our ledger board on the wall, you know, level mm-hmm. it off to where we want it so that the siding or your trim boards are going to land and everything aesthetically is going to to look appropriate. Uh, make sure you got a kick plate or a step, you know, to your doorway, uh, depending on driving rains or snow in our areas in, in Jersey and Mass. You know, mm-hmm. you want to be able to be able to clear snow and not have it back right up into your into your doors and such. Uh, but then I do take a metal drip cap and I put it over the top of that ledger board and nail it over the top of these tapes and uh, um, uh, products because UV rays can deteriorate them. So mm. now the metal protects the tapes and we've got a full, fully functioning system that our siding, our cladding and our trims board can come back down over the top of and our weather resistant barriers will lap over the top of so everything watersheds properly, which we can talk more about afterwards here. Yeah. Yeah, what I did on my house, because I didn't have any, part of it was under cover in my outdoor kitchen, but one part of it, I don't have any overhang on that side of the house because it's a more contemporary house. And the problem was built in 1977. I've got plywood T111 with tar paper behind it. So what I did was, as I actually went through there, I used the flexible flashing, went down around and went over the top of the ledger board as one piece. So then if any water got through there, it kicked around over the top of the ledger board. And then what I did is I used that flashing that way. And then I used the metal flashing over the top of it to make sure that it was protecting that. And then I set down my deck boards on top of that. So that way that was perfectly protected. And then it got a little more challenging above that because I had to cut back the T111 that was fairly dry rotted and stuff. So I ended up having to go through with a, with a metal, uh, I mean, with another nine inch, piece of trim along there to have a heavy piece of base trim. So I didn't want to reside the entire side of my house with T T one eleven. But then I had to put another piece of flashing on top of that to, to <laughs> fish underneath that. Up to, underneath the T one eleven over the your T-111. Trim, yeah. So it was a battle, but I won it. Good for you. Hey, listen, you did it right. And that will last our lifetime and hopefully uh, uh you know the next generation coming around. So well done, buddy. Thanks. And that's one thing I'm seeing now too, and I've learned this from um I'll give credit to a, a big YouTube Instagrammer out there, Dr. Dex, who's out of Tacoma up here. Jason's and a great guy. He's a great guy. He he lives two hours from me, and we're going to get him on the show here one of these days. But he wraps all his top surfaces on his deck framing. Yep, with a deck So tape. he puts tape, he deck tapes everything. So there is no water getting into the top of his framing on any of that. And I tell you what, that's how you build a, a – you know, you think about it, you could put a 50 or 60 year composite deck on top of that with a warranty. Mm-hmm. If you don't do that, you've got a deck system underneath it that might last 15 years, but you got deck boards that might last 50 or 60. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So so we're only, what, maybe 10 minutes into this conversation. We've already talked about tapes that need to go around windows, tapes that need to go behind deck boards and on walls, and now tapes that go on uh, deck framing. I mean, there's a tape for just about everything out there. 
Um, the big concern is, do people really know how to use them and where do they belong? That's what I was going to say is that so many of my homeowners, I when I go into a house and obviously I, I look for mold and things like that. I'm an environmental consultant. So I see mold and I explain to them like, your flashing was done wrong or you don't have any. And they're like, well, how do we know, how do I know the difference? Like, how does someone ascertain whether a person is doing their window right when they're, you know, they don't have the background that we have to even ask a question. I mean, is there certain questions that you would recommend a homeowner say, ask an installer to see if they're, you know, kind of trick them? Well, and first know. of all, I want to talk about, I want to talk about my most important tape. That's my mixtape. Oh my God. Nice. <laughs> oh God. That's supposed to like- come on when we say Merv. Now it's changed. I know, tape. but we had to make my mixtape. <laughs> We're bringing the concert to you, Caroline. <laughs> That's heavy. <laughs> I love it. So yeah, I mean, jump in, Walt, because yeah, yeah I mean, there's so much out there. I, I think, you know, one is understanding what the weather resistant barrier is there to do. Uh, there's so many different types of wraps that are out there. And in, in all honesty, you know, most of them have been engineered. So uh, they're not necessarily crap wraps, but we do find mm-hmm. some out there that, you know, just have such a permeating or where water can move, not just from the outside of the house to the inside, but the inside to the outside. What a weather resistant barrier is supposed to do is our houses do, uh, they breathe. Um, we're working with better building science practices to understand that they don't need to, but that's a different topic for a different day. Understand that moisture from the inside of the house needs to release to the outside. And what this weather resistant barrier does, it allows that moisture to flow through it, but not come back into it. So now all that moisture has gone to the outside of this house wrap that's on your house and is able to drain down and dry out to the outside where it belongs. Um, So one is, what do you have? Do you have a felt paper because it's an old house, you know, a tar paper? Um, Do you have an actual home wrap or a house wrap? Um, And what does it look like? Uh, So pulling off some siding and, and seeing what you have to work with when you go to put that window in and recognizing what it is, take a picture. And then I would say literally YouTube, whatever that product name is. So you can get a little bit of info on that. So in home inspections, I tell people to pull off something like if you have an outside outlet, or even if you have like, you know, those old um, people had intercom boxes and stuff. When you're in a home inspection, or you're you're looking to try to find what that house is built with, pull that off, and then you can see right in and you'll be able to see the layers of your building envelope. So it's always a trick. Absolutely. So you don't have to That's drill a, a hole in the right side there. of the house to like yeah. figure out what's going on. Just take off one of these outlets and take a peek in. Absolutely. That's fantastic. And, and, and then no damage done to the house, right? Yeah. Yep. I'll tell you what, I saw in a commercial building a weather-resistant ba- barrier failure that was shocking to me. And it was at a school in Yakima, Washington. And so they had this art installation on the wall that was metal. And it was cool. It was supposed to look almost like metal tiles and it was really cool. But the problem was, is they put in a flex flexible barrier behind it. That was a tar based. So it got hot because they were getting the sun. Six months later, it was running out as a liquid underneath the whole thing. And they had to come in. It was a million dollar fix to go in there and (laughs) carefully remove it, put something in that was going to be heat resistant. Yeah. And to put it back up again. So you got to be a little careful with what you're doing and using the right materials because sometimes metals and things like that in, in strong direct heat, you want to make sure you got the right product going behind it so it'll be durable for you long term. Because if it's something that's got a, a tar or butyl to it, heat's not always its friend. No, by, by all means, it's not. And we see it all the time on the commercial work. Normally, an architect or an engineer has picked up and saw that or they spec a product based off of the conditions, but it gets through the, the, the gaps. You know, it's definitely something that happens. It's unfortunate happened to that project, especially for the cost of it. But it's like metal is all you're, you're baking it. You're putting something in an oven. You know, how does it react? We always start when we're trying to determine our unforeseen layers, meaning all of our control layers, we start with what is our final cladding on the outside going to be? And then we're going to work in and spec all of those components from that knowing it could change down the road, but when they pull the, the old cladding off, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years, whatever it is, you know, 
uh, they're going to be able to see what we had to work with and then plan accordingly. Uh, but yeah, um, when it comes to metal, you don't want anything that is a bitumen base, uh, which is like a tar base uh, on the backside yeah. of that. Otherwise, you're dead in the water. You're going to be making a mess. Uh, and then something's going to be able to leak from above because everything's dripped in and come out the bottom. Yeah. Looked like vinyl siding in the heat coming out from underneath that thing. It was not good. Yeah, It was Fun. not good. Yeah, and especially, yeah, it's just crazy. So, you know, and I've also seen, though, I've also been on projects, remodeling projects that had, like, cedar siding. It was a cedar shingle siding, and I noticed that the old house wrap had completely just blown away behind it. It was dust, In the early right? days of house wrap, yeah. Yeah, it was absolute dust, and that's because the, the house wrap is designed to be protected, uh, but now we've penetrated it with so many different holes. And while we're, we're not allowing, we're, we're catching too much uh, temperature and moisture because cedar loves to, um, it loves to breathe in all directions. So like, have mm-hmm. you ever seen cedar on a house that cups? It's, it's, oh, yeah. all, it's all cut because that's where it's drying out to. So the reality is all these control layers need to be protected as well. Um, and unfortunately cedar does not allow that. That's why we're always using like a three H cedar breather. Uh, Ben Obdike makes one, uh, rain vent by DuPont. Uh, they make one, but again, you need to have the right airspace so that everything can dry properly. Otherwise, you know, again, you're just, you're going to find a bigger mess when you open it up. Let's describe that cedar breather for a second. So people can get an idea with that. Probably the best way, it's almost like a filter medium in a way. You know what I mean? How it's, because it's designed to let water and air move behind it, correct? Yes, that's exactly right. So, um, you know, you've, you've seen, ah, God, I don't want to say like um, a rolled ridge vent, Eric, for us. You know, yep. we, we've seen that product. If you cut that in to, and put it into a larger roll, like a three-foot roll, you know, again, the key component is it's usually a minimum of three-eighths thick. Uh, But yeah, it just allows everything but insects to pass through it. So explain to me for the people who are not so savvy. So you've got your plywood on your exterior of your house. And let's say like my house is built in 1967. So you've got your plywood, you've got your felt wrap, and then your cedar shake or whatever kind of siding you have. In my house, we have cedar shake. So where would this thing, would this thing would fit somewhere in between those three layers? Yeah, so it would go between the felt layer and the cedar shake itself. Okay. Uh, and that way you've protected the layer of felt that's protecting the sheathing on the house. Gotcha. And so, I mean, I don't notice anything different. You know, I've done quite a bit of remodel on my house, so I don't really notice any specific problems where I'm getting a moisture problem. But why could that happen with that combination of just having your, you know, your plywood and then your felt and then your cedar? Why would that turn into a mess? Well, so because it's a felt paper, now you're a tar-based, a petroleum-based product. Mm -hmm. So it takes the temperatures a whole lot better. Uh, And therefore, you know, you've seen it when you open up a a wall or whatever, when you go to pull it apart or or pull it off the wall, it breaks into a a, a million little pieces. Mm -hmm. Um, Imagine a product that isn't meant to withstand that type of temperature. Uh, It's just disintegrated and, and fallen apart. So... Um, that would be the difference. Um, when you're putting cedar direct back in the days in the sixties, fifties, forties, you know, that was the best, uh, underlayment, uh, application that we could use because it could withstand the temperatures, uh, and the change in temperature and such. Okay. But the only bad part with that is, is it didn't breathe because the tar paper had no air trans, except it seems cause it wasn't taped. It was overlapped and stapled and, and everywhere else. So the only breathing that was being done was around, the you know the the edges of that between that and the two layers and when it's all sandwiched together it didn't do a lot of breathing from that aspect but it wasn't taped either mm. so caroline what, what we found now is by using uh this additional layer that uh, most of our cedar products are lasting 10 15 20 years longer mm. because you know you have this rain screen uh and you have uh, then a, a channel for the cedar to breathe in all directions. So does and you that, also don't get cupping. Are, so are you using yeah. that over not a felt-based product? Are you using it over like a Tyvex or what are you putting yes, it? Mm-hmm. correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I usually use it over a home wrap or a drain wrap. Mm-hmm. I use drain wrap most often uh, up here in Mass um, just because I'm putting a lot of exterior insulation on my houses 
And that allows me a drainage plane behind that. Mm-hmm. Um, but any of those products work really, really well uh, underneath um, a, a rain screen. And so that's a great way to go. Now, with Windows, we haven't really talked too much about them. You mm-hmm. know, so many people out there go, oh, I'm going to replace that bathroom window or I'm going to replace the bedroom window or maybe I'm taking out that patio window and going to put a patio door in and they're going to make an, another exterior out there, you know, another exterior entrance exit in the home. This is where I see a lot of mistakes happen that end up causing some of the most significant damage behind there because it's not just simply cutting an opening out, throwing the window or door in, using some silicone caulking and calling it a day. No, no, far from it, right? I mean, um, and, and we can all pick on projects where we've seen no silicone. So if you're using silicone, thank you for at least taking the first step <laughs> in the right direction. Um, but like everything else, there's a real simple process um, uh, to going about it. Um, one thing, Eric, that I'd like to talk about, you know, as the next step in a window is let's say you cut out your opening um, and then you put a home wrap over that wall, right? So a lot of people can envision we're standing on the inside of a house and we have two windows and a sliding door, uh, but we just have home wrap covering the whole thing on the outside to protect it for the weather and, and overnight or whatever until you're ready to do the install. Uh, you, there used to be a method where you would just take from corner to corner and cut an X in that uh, weather-resistant barrier and then pull those corners to the inside and tack them to the inside of the house, and then you're ready to start putting your window in. Um, and one of the things that does is that allows any moisture uh, to travel from behind that house wrap back into your window assembly and then behind your drywall. Um, so the best thing I can tell anybody out there is just cut the whole square or rectangle out so that the home wraps only on the exterior of the house uh, and then start from there. At that point in time, go through and pitch your sill, whether you're in New England, where we can put a piece of um, um, clapboard siding, you know, just enough to get the water to shed in the right direction. Uh, some folks will take a pry bar and lift the back side of the sill where their window is going to go and just put a shim in between that and the studs underneath it. Once again, so when water hits there, it pitches the right way. Uh, but then I take a product. Uh, I use DuPont's Flex Wrap. Uh, I know there's I a bunch of stuff. different products out there, but... Uh, I love flex wrap. Um, I've been using it for the last 20 years um, and it's a, a butyl based product and I cut it one foot wider than the opening of my window. Um, there's two pieces of paper on the back side of it of film and I pull back one of those so that yep. I can drop this tape into the center of my window opening and let it kind of flow out to each edge to the corners Um, I take a little carpet tool, which is called a tuck tool, and I'll push that product nice and tight into the corner because I don't want any areas where the tapes could be curled up or or have gaps in between that and the corner. And then when I go to push my window in, have it break or tear the tape. Um, And then you peel that other piece of release paper off and you just gently fold that flex wrap down and out over the top of your WRB on the outside of the house. And what that's created is a sill pan and it's allowed, uh, uh, uh no fasteners, 100% butyl based product to seal the sill six inches up each side uh, of the jam and then out over your WRB. So any water that gets in there doesn't go behind the WRB, but goes and sheds out behind your siding and into where we would hope you'd see that rain screen area. Mm-hmm. So that's the next, that's the, that's the first step we take for, any opening, whether it's a door or a window, is just to create a sill pan. There's plastic sill pans out there. There's PVC sill pans out there that you could use. Um, I find having a roll of flashing tape on my truck of flex wrap is just easier, uh, and I can make it work uh, on any project anywhere. Mm, um, and it doesn't have to be to size. You know, I, I can make it the size Agreed. I want it. Yeah, you can you can modify it as needed to make it work. Yeah. And then one of the things that I see a lot, especially here in my neck of the woods in Portland, Oregon, where we get a lot of rain, and we have a fair amount of contemporary homes or even newer homes that just, like on gable ends and stuff, just don't have any overhangs. You know, oh, I, I, we have a lot so of bad. 1940 homes around here that have like a, you know, a 912 steep pitched roof, but literally there is a, there's siding. You'll see the the old cedar lap siding on the outside. There is a, 
a trim board up there and that's all there is. And, and hopefully the roofer puts some drip edge on it and you're good to go. Right. And, and so over those windows, I see there's such a, a, a propensity to see water come in over the top of those because they didn't deal with the, with the, the header portion of any of the, the, the flashing and caulking and any of that stuff up there. It's, it's the number one failure in windows that I've seen time and time again. I can, Eric, if I walked out the door and checked on 10 job sites from 10 different builders, I can guarantee you I'll find at least three windows installed incorrectly. And it's all at the head flashing because they just forget you've got to cut back that weather resistant barrier and lift it up because in order to flash that window so water doesn't come down inside of it, you have to put tape. You know, after you, I always put a bead of silicone on all Mm -hmm. three sides of my windows, both sides and the top. I do that before I put any fasteners in so that when I set my fasteners, my nails or my screws, I use trim head screws just in case I ever have to take it out. It's easier. Um, But I know every one of those fasteners has also got sealant and it's going to be sealed um, so that I've done the best I can with my fasteners to make sure I got a good window install. But then that top nailing flange, you should take a piece of flashing tape, a four inch flashing tape, and you should seal the flange to the sheathing. Just like we were talking earlier, Caroline, about the ledger board, Mm -hmm. we want to make sure that that adhesive sticks directly to the wall sheathing and not a a weather-resistant barrier. Otherwise, we've given moisture an area to come back into our envelope um, and that window cavity. But yeah, At this point, your weather-resistant barrier is typically held up or out because you're working underneath it. Yeah, I usually just take a piece of tape. You know, I'll lift it up six, eight inches take a piece of tape in the center just to hold it up out of the way so I'm not fighting with it while I'm working with a piece of of the flashing tape. Um, And then after I'm done, I cut about a half inch to an inch off of the weather-resistant barrier so it drops down over the flashing tape I just installed. And then I take another piece of tape and just tape that uh, right to it so that I know that it's not going to move or flap around on me. And and if I don't get my siding up right away, I I don't have to listen to it at night. Uh, you know, on, on those windy nights. Exactly, buddy. <laughs> but yeah, that, yeah, is, and, and that, that is the number one That's a foolproof way. That's a foolproof way at that point because you've you've now stopped all of the water intrusion points, and in ex- including driving rain where it just doesn't have any place to go. Yeah. And now, okay. Eric, we, we always, you know, we, we always talk about the watershed process, right? And And both of you know, like, what that means. I don't know if a lot of viewers or listeners do. Um, but the reality is water sheds, you know, it comes from up and sheds down. So all of our processes start from the bottom with our tapes and work our way up and are always overlapping so that if water hit it, it would shed on top of the next layer below it. Um, so as long as homeowners out there are thinking about that as they're doing it, you know, just think that any seam in tape, you know, could fail at some point in time. So let's just make sure that everything is lapped properly so if you had a waterfall flowing, flowing over the window, it's, it's always dispersing to the, the exterior of the house. Just like shingles on a roof. Bingo. Mm. You got it, buddy. Well, we were talking, going back to talking about overhangs. And it's so funny because I've been looking for a house that I want to sort of upgrade to. And I'm so particular about overhangs. And so I see all the construction like the 80s and 90s, you know, in the Northeast where they just did flush. Everything was flush with no overhang. And it just freaks me out because I feel like that's your protection. You always want to protect that envelope and that extra bigger, larger overhang and even a bigger, larger gutter really gives the water somewhere to go instead of going into your window. And how do you feel about that? I mean, would you like to see more? I would like to see more overhangs when people build in general, but curious to see what you think. I'll I'll tell you that my personal house has four foot overhangs. And no gutters. Um, you know, everything is pitched and graded away from the house. Um, I and I understand him. that birds, yeah, birds love <laughs> to try to get up underneath my soffits. And I will, I, I know that we will have plenty of building scientists want to argue the point of our thermal layers, but mm-hmm. that we will have for another discussion. I was just going to go there and go, because, let's man, not open that can of worms. <laughs> yeah, I go, I know it. We have ways around it. But the reality is, I, I think overhangs are probably one of our best defenses to start with. Um, now, the overhang itself, depending on the size of it, protects only so much of the elevation of that wall. Mm-hmm. It's usually the first, first upper up third. third. So if right. you have, yeah, exactly. So if you have windows and everything else where the top of those windows are in the upper third of, of the wall assembly, 
then overhangs are a no-brainer, definitely the way to go. So in my house, I have two levels of overhang. So I have an overhang on the top, and then the second level comes out, and it's an overhang on the bottom. So it's protecting both. The only thing- Oh, that's perfect. Except on my sides, I'm flush mount like Eric is, but I don't have any windows or doors on sides. So only in the front and back. Gotcha. So So my house is exactly the opposite. Really? We need to help Eric. He needs overhangs. In his climate, can you imagine not having overhangs? Like it's like holy. No, heck. no, I can't. Yeah, I have. I I don't. I have enough for attic ventilation for about a, you know, a, a one inch, inch and a half strip for attic ventilation of that, and then it goes right to, right to the board and right to the gutter, and I've got gutters all the way around it. But uh, you know, we're on all the downhill slopes. But I literally have zero overhang on this house. The only overhang that's there is just enough to give ventilation, but. I've also wow. got shed roofs everywhere as well. So I have, yeah. you know, there's no trusses. It's all, most of the house is vaulted contemporary, you know, and I've got all these different roof pitches. But, uh, yeah, I have none. I've got 1977 home, T111 siding, you know, tar paper behind it, and um, not much rot because even though they painted it, uh, there was just not a lot to it because it breathed well enough that when things got wet, it got dry. We got to ask Walt the question, Eric, what we asked Emily. So we find this very funny. We just had had Emily on here as well, by the way. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. And she was Emily Matran, (laughs) the architect. So we were, I asked her, what type of house do you live in? And I find it very funny that all of the people that are in this industry, they tend to live in these 60s and 70s houses. And she lived in a 70s house as well. Like, I feel like this was the greatest time period for building. It wasn't too much where we had all the environmental hazards of lead. They built a pretty decent house. It wasn't too tight. And then when the 80s and 90s and 2000s came, then we became really energy efficient. So I'm just curious what you think is the best time frame and what you live in, if you don't mind divulging that. So the joy of living in New England is uh, we can peck on houses that are centuries old, um, right? All all the way up to these new houses. Um, So, uh, my house started as a 1890 house. Mm-hmm. Uh, it cool. was a cottage on the water um, that was a total of 620 square feet. Wow. Cool. Um, four additions later over three decades. Um, yeah, it's probably about 4,000 square feet. Wow. Um, but again, it was me constantly doing different practices and wanting to see how this this would make uh, the building performed differently. Um, so the reality is we just had a huge session on 1920 homes and some of the best construction timber wise, timber framing wise came out of the 1920s yep, yep. Uh, and they had some amazing packages. Um, you're right though. Sixties and seventies had some of the best overall performing houses, um, you know, with central fireplaces uh, for heat sources um, different claddings. I will say that again, we ran into issues with overhangs um, as far as moisture, but these houses breathe so well that any moisture in had a way to disperse, whether Mm -hmm. into the house and then dry out or outside of the house. Um, So yeah, I, unfortunately uh, mine was way, way older uh, and now is way, way newer. It's interesting just to see like how, I mean, I still look at older houses when I'm looking for bones and looking for, and as much as I'm in this industry and I want to like new construction, I don't like it so much. I'm not embarrassed to say it. I don't like new construction. There's a lot of things I don't like about it. And Eric and I will talk about quiet floors and different technologies and MDF and OSB. I don't like it. Mm -hmm. And and I'm waiting for someone to come along and kind of steer me and, 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 convince me otherwise, but I'm still an old school girl when it comes to what I think is better building. So what is it about the new stuff that you don't like? Um, I find with the glues and resins that the tight building envelope presents problems with the moisture control, right? We're talked about this mm-hmm, in and absolutely. out that we need. And what happens when we tighten this building envelope, the moisture gets trapped inside. And so now we start to see all these moisture issues and I'm forced to do all kinds of mechanical ventilation to accommodate the moisture control. And even when I start putting on ERVs and people say, oh, you know, we've got to put fresh air in, that moisture gets higher and higher and higher. And, you know, no matter what I'm doing, even with sometimes the most intense dehumidification within the ductwork, I'm still having moisture issues. So that's my concern. Also, a lot of the MDF products and the OSB doesn't hold up well when it takes on moisture. It starts to 
delam- it can delaminate, can start to break down, especially in basements, substructures. It doesn't hold up as well. And then it starts to stink. We get this odor. Like a lot of my clients will complain that they're like, my house smells. It has this new, it smells like new smell, but it, our house is 10 years old. And I have to explain to them that's the glues. And as they take on moisture, they just don't hold up well. And you get an odor all the time, which I don't like. Like I would prefer my house not to smell like anything. So some of the reasons. Absolutely. So, so you yeah. like the house to breathe, yes. right? Yes. I mean, because a lot of that stuff dissipates and and goes where we want it, just not into our rooms and not into our lungs. Exactly. Um, Off-gassing and such is always uh, something we're, we're critically watching. Um, but I agree with you. I mean, I think, you know, with the introduction of ERVs and all these systems that we have to put in as, as mechanical systems to control the moisture um, in order to make these energy efficient, passive, amazing homes that will perform on a little budget. Um, we, we also have to take into consideration how long it takes to educate the homeowner that's going to be buying that, how to use it, because we can never Mm -hmm. anticipate how each person uses their house differently. If you're the type of person that has your windows open in the middle of winter, because you like it cold, well, we did not plan for that with our ERV system. There's no way we are, you know, we, we know yep. what to do with that. You'll appreciate so. this too. Um, so I worked on the home of very famous NFL owner. I can't say who it is, but I did his home okay. and um, they, he loves to go outside. Okay. So he wanted to be able to go inside, outside, have the windows open. He loved fresh air and he built this new lead certified home. Well, the first thing it did within yep. two weeks of him opening the windows in Maryland the house began to sweat on every single surface you could possibly imagine, condensation everywhere. And when you're talking about houses that have millions and millions of dollars in tapestries and textiles that can't get wet and artwork, you can imagine what this presented. So that, and I explained to him, I'm like, you don't understand the way your house is and how tight it is and all the spray foam you used. You can't open your windows on a humid day. And he's like, no, like you don't tell a billionaire he can't open his windows. So the HVAC company was like (laughs) telling me, well, Caroline, you have to tell him. And I'm like, no, he's a billionaire. Like you fix the problem so he can open his windows when he wants to. So we had to put in all kinds of dehumidification with our friends from Thermostore and we had to go with ultra airs. And I mean, I lit this place up with dehumidifiers like you couldn't believe because I had to counterbalance all this moisture that would just get trapped in there. But that's the kind of things that we deal with. And like you guys build it. And then as an environmental person, I get called in to like deal with the problem. And I'm like, ooh, I'm like, I don't want to tell anybody. Absolutely. Yeah, well, it's it's like here though too. It's the same kind of thing. We we have to be careful here with ERVs and stuff because in July, August during wildfire season, that air oh, God, outside yeah. is so horrible. I mean, when we get smoke and and Walt's heard me tell the story before, but it looks like it's a, a pea soup fog and it's it's wildfire smoke. And so you walk outside, your eyes are burning, and you know you're changing your air filter inside the home on a on a biweekly basis. You know, and literally you're putting you're finding every leak because you're smoke testing the house and you have to be careful because all of a sudden when your ERV system kicks in, you're putting in much worse air quality than you have inside your home. Yeah, that that, every climate zone, all those components have to be taken into consideration because, Mm -hmm. uh, again, I mean, what what is the result if you start pumping that into your house and someone, Mrs. Smith, who's 80 years old, doesn't realize that's happening. Exactly. Holy. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, it was so bad that I literally, if I would have taken a smoke detector and took it outside, it would have gone <laughs> off. Yeah. Yeah. That's you scary know, and, stuff. And so it's, it's scary stuff, but I, I think that's where our industry uh, on the science and the building part of it is that the manufacturers have to be able to create some, some better systems out there down the road that can really monitor that and go, hey, look, we can't turn the ERV system on today because the air quality is so much worse it's inside. We better keep the air that's inside, inside, unless we have a way to filter it or clean it. Right. Fresh air is not the option today. Yeah. That's my soapbox. <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> So many issues we have to deal with. This is so hard. And for our listeners, it's building houses. They, they think they buy a house and it's just going to be perfect and they expect it to be perfect. They don't understand the other side of it and how much goes into it and how much we don't know and how much we're learning. And we're every day, it's a process. It's, there's no right answer to any of this. It's just trial and error till we get something that's good. And that's one of the joys that, you know, it, in New England, you know, and, and I, this is probably all over the, the country, you know, we used to have these estates, you know, 
and these homes that were handed down from generation to generation. So grandpa would tell you the ins and outs of the house, you know, and like, watch out for this, watch out for that. And, you know, with this, you know, the data that says, you know, we live in a house for seven years now, and then we're, we're turning and burning and handing it off to somebody else. You, you don't have anybody to call to say like, hey, how did this work? And, and why is this happening? So true. And you're recreating oh. the wheel with every new homeowner based off of their lifestyle and how they live in that house. So true. that's amazing. It's really, it's really so hard. true. So true. Although I do wish that I could have gotten was would have been gifted like my dad's childhood home and Malden, Massachusetts, or my nice. great-grandfather <laughs> in South Boston, because those things are worth some money now. Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> you better believe it, buddy. Because <laughs> my great-great-grandfather, we, we went through and found out he was a Southie, so he got his immigration paperwork when he was became a U.S. citizen is in uh, South Boston. Oh, that's so, awesome. Well, that, that last time we were, I was with you in Boston on that last trip that we were together, I actually took an Uber down to the house and stood out in front of it, still standing there. So it's kind of cool to go check it out. Did you really? Did you, yeah. you research who, who owns it now? I haven't now. I'm, I'm, I, I got to come up with some time. But, yeah, that's one thing I'm going to reach out to. But I took some selfies out in front of it. I'm sure the people inside were going, who's this nut job out front taking selfies in front of my house? I literally had a friend of mine tell me that's a similar story the other day where they're like, you know what? Um, my aunt used to have this house. It was our family hood house. Uh, we all grew up there. She kept it. Um, so I literally just decided to drive by it, uh, even though she's been dead and gone for like 30 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, and she goes, I was so compelled. I knocked on the door just to say hello because <laughs> I needed I needed to see the house. And I was like, that's oh awesome. God. Can you imagine? Did Eric? they greet you? Did they welcome you in? And she's like, yeah, we had tea. And I'm like, no, you did not have tea. That she's happened like, with my little brother tea. too. Great. My little brother had that. Uh, he lives in a 1920s kind of farmhouse in Eastern Washington. And this place used to have, uh, it was, I mean, it's a huge 1920s farmhouse. I mean, it's probably 5,000 square feet overall because the basement was the, was the Grange Hall as well. So it had originally had a little bowling alley in it. And I think a little speakeasy, that kind of stuff. And so super cool. But the lady that grew up in that house, she was the daughter, spent her younger years there. They were driving by and he was out front and they pulled up and, and it was the, you know, the, the grandkids were driving and said, can she come in? She'd like to see what the house looked like. So then he got a bunch of pictures, family picture copies and stuff. And so he's got pictures of the house during its early years in the twenties, thirties and forties. And it's been fascinating to see how that, house changed over the years and and things like that but uh, i think it was originally a sears house yeah that was one of the big sears because it's the concrete i don't know if you've seen though these caroline they were built you got a sears concrete block machine but they're made to look like blocks of granite but they used uh kind of a white concrete mix and (laughs) the outside looks like chiseled granite but it's actually concrete and you sat there and built your house out of these concrete blocks wow crazy stuff Crazy I'm stuff. still stuck on the fact so. that Eric Gorenson could have potentially been a Patriots fan. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you, you blew my Ouch. mind. Eric growing up as a Ouch. Patriots fan. No more Seahawks. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> it just doesn't seem like right. I, I, I could day see for it. That. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I was respectful during your Super Bowl parade, Walt. I will say when we were standing there watching that. So. That was cool to watch. You, you cool felt like you were right at home. I think deep down inside you're a Patriots fan. Ah, see? I, I oh. It's in his blood. <laughs> I love Boston, though. If there was a, Julie and I were just talking about this the other day, and, and we're like, man, if there was another city that we could afford to live in, Boston would be one of them because it's just a beautiful area. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're touring Boston and coming up because my daughter is headed off to college, and, and one of the colleges she's looking at is BU. And mm. I love Boston. Like you said, it's just so nice. Uh, crazy roadways and everything else. So driving is not the funnest, but the reality is the, the atmosphere and the people, they're just wonderful. It's a great, great city. Well, we're starting to run out of time out of this episode, Walt. What have we missed on just kind of the basics on on keeping that bad stuff out of the house and the, and the good stuff in as far as uh, flashings and weatherproofing? I know we got to go deeper into this in another episode, but... Uh, for kind of the 101, is there anything else that we should be hitting on? I guess maybe just just a recap that, you know, make sure that you got a good um, WRB, a base layer, um, a self-adhesive sealed to the, the sheathing, uh, depending on what your project is. 
Um, make sure that weather-resistant barrier is installed properly. Um, you were talking about the tat 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 when the wind comes and and blows it uh, at night. You know, make sure that you're using some cap fasteners and then you're taping all your seams. Um, and then just make sure that uh, as you go through, you're systematic about the install of all the components you're putting in there, and make sure that they work together. Make sure they're compatible. Uh, because unfortunately, there's a lot of failures out there just because something doesn't work well uh, with a sealant or a tape. And and just, yeah, if you get an opportunity, I don't care what system you use, but just use the complete system uh, when doing that install. And um, and those doors and those windows uh, should last you your lifetime um, after you've installed them, by all means. Where? It's not a, a 5, 10-year, 15-year warranty. These things... You know, we see houses with windows that are 100 years old. Um, as long as it's done right and we take care of them, they should last that long now. Do you have a great resource where Absolutely. people can go and look for this information? Like if they want to learn how to do proper flashing, because there's a lot of bad stuff out there. Do you have somewhere you like them to I go? I think, again, because I use a lot of the DuPont products, um, uh, there's a lot of YouTube videos. If you go to DuPont.com um, and look up installation guidelines, uh, a lot of these manufacturers have their own uh, videos uh, as far as how to install their products because let's face it they spend tons and tons of resources and millions of dollars creating these things um, only to find out that even in the builder world installer error uh, is the biggest callback so yeah they they may create some really good videos and, and installs yeah 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 the information highway here we there's plenty of uh, resources out there Caroline Perfect. Now, Walt, one more question for you. What's your favorite whiskey you're drinking right now? Oh, Angel's Envy. I'm well, actually bourbon, but yeah, I'm, I'm sipping okay, on bourbon. Angel's Envy later here today. So <laughs> nice. Yeah, how about yourself, buddy? <laughs> you know, I don't know. I've been on a whistle pig run for a couple, <laughs> whistle couple pig months keeps now. Coming so. up. Whistle pig. <laughs> I know it. We we ran that place out in uh, in Orlando. The Hyatt Regency had to send out a ship for another one. <laughs> well, the next time you're in the area, we'll go up to Vermont and tour the plant. Uh, the yeah, the uh, whistle big itself. Deal. Yeah, absolutely. Deal. We'll do that. We'll do that. All right, Walt. Thanks for coming on today, thanks, brother. Mom. We really appreciate it. Eric, Caroline, thank you so much for having me. Loved it. Have no a good problem. one, guys. All right, I'm Eric G. And I'm Caroline B. And you've been listening to Around, Around the, the House. House. It's Eric G from Around the House. Are you planning a decking or siding project this year? If you are, you've got to check out my friends at Millboard. Millboard is a completely different kind of composite decking and cladding that enhances outdoor spaces with enduring distinction. Hand molded from the finest oak, it realistically mimics the natural grain and color of premium hardwood. If you're looking for something that doesn't look like plastic and instead real wood, check out millboard.com. Make sure and check out that interview we did just a few weeks back. That's millboard.com.